the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Good morning, church. So good to see you here. I don't know if I should turn the AC on or the heat. It just keeps fluctuating. Uh, I'm glad you all are here uh, on this incredible Sunday morning. Uh, I now know that if there's a technical difficulty, it's not really a technical difficulty. It's just the dude hitting mute on me. Um, So I'm so glad you're here. We're in this series in Romans chapter 8. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever walked into a situation where either you had a lot of confidence or you had like zero confidence. Uh, I think a lot of times when we walk into a new situation, uh, it can make you nervous, it can make you timid. Uh, you know, maybe you've uh, you know, started at a new school at some point in your life. Maybe you walked into a new job situation, uh, even a new church. Uh, I don't ever want to take for granted, you know, there's folks who walk into this building for the first time uh, every single week. Uh, I don't take for granted that that can be an intimidating experience to walk into a new church. That's why I'm so appreciative of our welcome team, uh, because one smile, one warm, you know, welcome can change uh, the whole morning for someone. So, uh, you know, I also think of uh, on the job. So some of you have experienced this, that your leadership impacts like your performance, right? So uh, the way you um, relate to your boss, like if they empower you, if they trust you, uh, you feel a strong sense of of security, like job security or security in your standing uh, in your workplace, then you can work more freely, right? And more um, confidently. And you can be at your best when you feel that kind of freedom, when you feel secure in the relationship there. Uh, I could turn about anything into a, foot, into a football illustration, so I'm going to use one this morning. Uh, I think of like a quarterback um, for a team. When a, when a quarterback is, you know, a veteran quarterback who is a winner, is trusted, who has been, you know, playing for a while, uh, man, they can play free and, and carefree and uh, be at their best. But when you have a have a quarterback competition. You have a quarterback who is fighting for that QB1 role. Uh, man, they can play tight. They can, you know, if I make one mistake, I may lose the opportunity to win the starting job. Uh, and so, like, it's, there's more, like, timidity that goes on there. So this idea of confidence, uh, confidence impacts, you know, confidence or lack of confidence makes a ton of, of difference. It impacts how you approach Uh, situations. It impacts how you approach work sometimes. It impacts how you approach life. And not only is this true in a general sense, but I believe it's also true in in a spiritual sense, in our spiritual lives. Here's what I mean, is that our confidence in God's love for us and in our right standing with him it affects how we live our lives. So let me start with this, this big idea around that idea. Uh, when we are secure in our relationship with God, we can then live freely and boldly for God. Let me say it again. When we are secure in our relationship with God, then we can live freely and boldly 
for God. We can be at our best, not worried that we're going to lose uh, our standing with him, not worried that he's going to frown upon us or reprimand us or even at worst cast us out, right? So we, can, we can live freely and boldly and confidently for him. In Romans 8, what, what the writer Paul does here is is, is God through Paul work, works really hard to convince us in Romans 8 of the invincible love of God for us so that we can live freely and wholeheartedly for him. Uh, check this out. The, the way this, this chapter begins, uh, chapter 8, it begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. So we already saw it back in Romans 8.1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like God doesn't condemn us anymore if we are in Christ. And then as we'll see in a couple weeks, the, the chapter uh, Romans 8 ends with this incredible question. It says, who shall separate us from the love of God? And then it unpacks this, this whole uh, incredible series of verses. And it ends with this thought in the very last verse. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no condemnation, there is no separation for those of us who are in Christ. And so Paul is over and over trying to convince us of this invincible love of God for us so that we can live freely and confidently and boldly for God. It's an incredible, incredible chapter. And at the heart of God's activity in our lives is the Spirit of God. And so this series is called Romans 8, Life in the Spirit. What we're talking about today is the Spirit gives you assurance. The Spirit gives you assurance. We'll be in Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. And we're answering really the question, how can we have certainty and confidence in our right standing with God? Maybe you've wrestled this about your relationship with God and where you stand with him. And hopefully as we work through Romans 8, 14 through 17, it will help you in, in that sense. And so I want to invite you to stand with me. And if you got your Bible, if you would turn that, uh, open that to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read four verses, uh, Romans 8, 14 through 17. Uh, this is God's word. It is truth. It is life. And here's what God says in Romans 8, starting in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's word. Amen. And so, Lord, thank you this morning for the truth of your word. Thank you for this incredible truth that we've read here, that we've already sung about, that we can we can call you Abba, Father. We can cry out to you as our heavenly Father. You have made us, through the work of Jesus, we've made us our, your sons and your daughters. This is adoption. You have adopted us into your family. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. God, I pray that you would help us, for those of us that are in Christ this morning, help us to be encouraged, help us to rest firmly in the, the truth of that. God, remind us of the incredible privileges that are ours as your sons 
and your daughters. Uh, God, for those who may be questioning their standing with you, God, I pray that they would even be encouraged to put their faith in you today and to step into a relationship that you've called them, you've invited us into, to be your son, to be your daughter by grace. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would speak to us this morning. I pray that you would move in a way that only you, you can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, why don't you all have a seat? Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. The Spirit gives you assurance. So Paul is answering this question, how can I have certainty and confidence in my right standing with God? So another term we could use for this idea is assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. So how can I know that I'm saved? How can I know that I'm a child of God? Uh, and this is, is what Paul kind of gets at here in this passage. Uh, so if I asked you a question, how do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that you're a follower of, of Jesus? Uh, you could say, well, I put my faith in Jesus. And that'll be a great answer. That's valid for sure. Um, but what Paul gets at here is that it's not about something that we have done or something that we declare, something that we have performed, uh, he directs it back to God's initiative, something that God has done, some things that God does to give us confidence and assurance uh, in our faith, in our standing with God. And so uh, it's grounded in what, what God has done. It's not about something we've done. It's not about what we believe. It's some work that he has done in our life. So three things we're going to ground that, that in this morning in Romans chapter 8. Here's the first thing we're going to talk about is that God's children are led by God's spirit. God's children are led by God's spirit. So verse 14, let me go back to it. Paul says this, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. And when it says sons, it's referring to both sons and daughters. All who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Now, the context here, I'm going to Back up one verse we were in last week to give us the context. Verse number 13, Paul said this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the context here is, if, if you remember, we, 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 uh, I read that, that um, quote that I love. John Owen said, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And so the context here is God's uh, work of sanctification through his Spirit in us. That God, his spirit is sanctifying us, is purifying us, is making us more holy, more like him. And it's, it's this spirit-empowered effort on our part. We can't just pray away our sin. Uh, God invites us. He invites us to partner with him in putting our sin to death. And so it's this spirit-empowered uh, partnership to put to death sin in our life. And if you remember, we also talked about last week that if you belong to Christ, his spirit is, is in you. If you remember, we talked about he, he, he comes in and he takes ownership of us, right? He becomes our owner. And if the spirit is in you, here is how Paul continues in verse number 14 that we're looking at today. If his spirit is in you, then his spirit leads you. His spirit leads you. It's not, like, it's not like he's just renting a room, right? He's just like a passive occupant uh, within you. No, he has come in to be the owner. He has come in to be the landlord. He's come in to call the shots in your life. Not to just kind of like 
pop out of his room once in a while and play video games, all right? No, he wants to call the shots in your life and be your leader, which means he teaches you. The Holy Spirit teaches you. The Holy Spirit guides you. The Holy Spirit uh, reminds you of the truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit convicts you of, of sin in your life. The Holy Spirit empowers you to be obedient to what God has called you to. The Holy Spirit does all these things. He leads you. This is, is what he does. God's children are led by God's spirit. So if you're a child of God, there should be evidence of the Holy Spirit actually leading and working in your life and growing you more and more into the image of Christ. So let me take you to Luke chapter 6. Here's, what, here's how Jesus says it. As Jesus is teaching, he says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree, and this is such an important phrase here, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a, a bramble bush. So each tree is known by its own fruit. So we talk about fruit. Okay, what does that tree produce? What does your life produce? What's the evidence? What's the fruit of your life? And he says, for each tree is known by its own fruit. And I want to make sure I, I emphasize that, own fruit. So in other words, you as a tree are known by your fruit, not somebody else's fruit. Okay, so it's not good enough to say, well, my, my, my parents are good Christian people. They attend church, they follow the Lord, they serve the Lord, they're holy. Uh, or my friends are good Christians. Uh, no, you are known by your own fruit. So what is the evidence? What is the fruit in your life? Uh, we could go to, uh, we won't spend time going there, but Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Like the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. Is there that kind of fruit in your life? Are, are there, you know, we talk about growth, spiritual growth. You know, we all know sometimes you take tiny little baby steps and you grow in certain ways in certain areas. And sometimes they're big, big steps. Um, would you ever say, man, I wouldn't have responded to this situation like this a year ago or five years ago. Is there growth in your life? We talked about last week, affections. Our affections, are, are you getting new affections in your life? Is God changing your desires to be more like his own? What is the fruit in your life. So listen, I've, I've had people tell me or, or proclaim either to me or maybe, you know, publicly, pub publicly or social media or whatever saying like, okay, I, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I belong to God. I'm saved. Um, and yet when you look at their life over the course of time, there's no fruit. There's, there's no evidence of, of that. Uh, and so here's the deal. Only God knows the heart. Right? I can't judge your heart, but yet at the same time, Jesus himself said, check out the fruit. Look at the fruit of somebody's life to see if it bears anything that resembles fruit of the Holy Spirit. Is there fruit in, in their life? Uh, I, I can think of one person in particular, a year or maybe a year and a half ago, that, that told me they had made a decision for God, that they'd put their faith in Jesus. And I... I'm gonna be a little. I'm gonna be honest with you. I was a little skeptical. I was like, okay, all right. Um, I didn't. What led to this? I don't know. But I was. You know what my approach was? I'm just gonna watch and we'll see. Is there fruit in their life? And over the course of a year, a year and a half, I look at it and I go, hmm. 
There's no change of affection. There's no change of behavior. There's no, which indicates there's no change of heart. Uh, look further here with me back at Luke chapter 6, a couple verses later, Jesus kind of elaborates a little bit. He says this, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So it's all about a heart change, right? Whatever God has done in your heart, if he's changed your heart, it will produce good fruit out of your life. But, but catch this, this next line that Jesus says. Man, this is, these are strong words. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, but like, do you understand how this works? You call me Lord, that means I, I'm the one who leads and you follow. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you? He's pointing into the fruit of our lives. Is there fruit that we are actually being led by the Spirit of God or not? Let me make a statement to you. Profession does not equal possession. Profession does not equal possession. And what I mean by this, I know this may sound snarky or skeptical, but listen, it is, it is very easy to make a profession to profess that you are a follower of Christ, to profess that you are a Christian when, in fact, you do not possess Christ. Can I give you an example? Actually, I don't want to get political. This isn't a political statement as much as it is a spiritual statement. Uh, there are public figures who have made the statement, I am a Christian, out of one side of their mouth, and out of the other side of their mouth, they've said, why do I need forgiveness? Why do I need to repent? And I go, mm, okay, look at the fruit of the life. Profession does not equal possession. Just because I profess faith in Christ does not mean I actually possess Christ. God's children are led by God's spirit. Now, again, we're not called to judge people, but if we're going to be discerning, we can look at a person's life and the fruit, the evidence of their life and go, mm, they're calling him Lord, but they do nothing that he says. This is the mark of someone who is a follower of Jesus. God's children are led by God's spirit. So let me make a conclusion with this, this, this point. You can have certainty, you can have confidence that you are a child of God, a son or daughter of God, if you are led by his spirit. There's evidence that you are following him. You see it, others see it. It's, it's, whole, it's Holy Spirit-empowered obedience that demonstrates that you are God's child. All right, so that's number one. Number two, here's a second thing that he, he dives into. God's Spirit liberates us from slavery into sonship. God's Spirit liberates us from slavery into sonship. This position of being a son or a daughter of God. Now, if you rewind a couple chapters in Romans, Romans chapter 6, Paul talking about the struggle with sin, and he says that we were, before Christ, we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to sin. In Romans chapter 8 here, he, he gives us this picture of how we, we are without Christ. We are slaves to, to fear. Uh, in fact, uh, I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 2 that says that we were subjected to lifelong slavery. We were slaves to fear until Jesus delivered us. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, speaking of Jesus, himself likewise partook 
of the same things. Jesus became flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Y'all, that's all of us prior to Christ's work in our life. We are slaves to fear until we allow Jesus to deliver us from that. And we, we saw this a couple weeks ago, verse number two of Romans eight, where it says that we have been set free from the law of sin and death by the law of the spirit of life. The, the gospel sets us free from the slavery to fear. And what Paul says here, this incredible truth, he says, you are no longer slaves. You're no longer slaves to sin. You're no longer slaves to fear. No, you are now sons, sons and daughters of God. You've been brought into the family of God. And the spirit, the spirit of adoption, he calls him, brings this awareness of this incredible reality that God is our father and that we are his son, that we are his daughter. You know, this is such an amazing, amazing truth that I want you to, I want you to sit in this morning if you are a follower of Jesus, because the day-to-day -day stuff of your life distracts us and gets us so far away from this simple but so, so powerful truth that God is our father, that we are his sons and his daughters. And it comes by adoption. So I want to read you a couple quotes from uh, a couple guys that, that talk about this, this first century in particular idea of adoption. The readers uh, of, of Romans would have understood this in, in, a, in a very specific way. F.F. Bruce says this about adoption. In the Roman world of the first century AD, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was no whit inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature. So there was no difference in the standing of a, an adopted son and a natural born son. They had the same rights. They had the same uh, inheritance. It, it was, they were in the same standing. David Guzik says it this way. Under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son lost all rights in his old family and gained all new rights in his new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out with all debts being canceled, with nothing from his past counting against him anymore. Y'all just think about that in terms of our relationship with God. That when he brings us into his family, when he adopts us into the family. We get all the privileges, all the rights, all the blessings of a son or a daughter of God. We get all the rights and all the privileges. And he uses this term, Abba. Abba, Father. Now we already sung about that this morning, but Abba is this informal kind of everyday Aramaic term uh, for father. It, it means it indicates a relationship of, of tenderness, uh, of intimacy, uh, of dependence. Uh, it was kind of like uh, the terms we might use today would be like daddy, 
right, or, or papa. Um, these are terms of endearment, of, of intimacy. Um, you know, what if I told you that, that my children at home, when I come home, they call me Pastor Tate? That'd be weird, right? Um, please don't, some of you call me stuff like that. That's, that's okay. Thanks for the reverence. But uh, Andrew is fine. Pastor Andrew. Um, I went to, a, I was at a, an event Thursday for a community medical clinic over in Camden. An incredible organization that we as a church support. Uh, they invited me to come over and, and they were doing a memorial every year. They, uh, they remember and celebrate the lives of volunteers who have died over this, the course of the year. And so they invited me to come and to pray um, a blessing and then also to read a poem. And, uh, and so I did that. I was very honored to do that. Um, but there was one person who kept referring to me as the minister. The minister. I'm going to stand next to the minister. And I was like, Please don't call me that. <laughs> um, and the director, uh, one of the directors of the, the clinic said, uh, his name's Andrew. He's got a name. And I was like, thank you. Anything but the minister is, is fine with me. All right. Um, but that, that term, daddy, is, a, is an informal, everyday term of endearment. Uh, I want to share something with you that I, all, I didn't share in the first service, partly because I had a couple of my kids in the room. Um, I, I remember uh, this transition in, like, in parenthood when my, when my kids um, stopped calling me daddy. Man, that's, that's like a, a kind of a rough moment because daddy is, like, is such a dependent like, phrase. I remember like, the, the little kid voices calling me daddy, and then it became like, you know, voices dropping and dad. And I was like, that's... Not quite as special. They don't depend on me anymore. Uh, I have a 10-year-old daughter uh, who still calls me daddy. Uh, and I love it. I'm going to hang on to it as long as I can. But I remember she came along six years after, uh, you know, our youngest son. And, uh, and so I knew this is, this, is the last, this is the last child that's going to call me daddy. And so I intentionally did something with her uh, every time I'd say goodnight to her. Still to this day, I say, daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. And, uh, and... Long, the long game of that for me was, like, I want her to know her daddy loves her. But I, ultimately, I want her to know that her Abba Father loves her. I want that to stick with her for the rest of her life. Now, somewhere along the way, she started saying, you know, not only daddy loves you, but mommy loves you. I'm like, okay, that ruins the, the whole picture. <laughs> but okay, mommy does love you too. But daddy loves you. Daddy loves you, right? Not pastor dad loves you. Daddy loves you. Your father loves you. And here's the thing. The Jews, they didn't even relate to God this way. It was very formal, right? They were afraid to speak the name of God in fear that they would take his name in vain, right? And they would be struck down. So they didn't even say, they wouldn't even say his name. They would say Lord instead of Yahweh because they were afraid to speak his name. They didn't even relate to God in this way. However, Jesus did. Jesus did. When Jesus prayed to his father, when Jesus prayed to God the Father, he called him Abba Father. When he taught his disciples how to pray, he said, pray in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, he taught us to pray with this kind of intimacy. And so please don't miss this. What Paul is saying here is that you and I can now relate to God in the very same way that Jesus did. In the very same way that Jesus does. Because for us, we would say, well, of course he can address him as, as, as daddy or as papa because he is the son of God. Like, I need to reverence him. And yet Paul says, God tells us, no, 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 no. You can cry out to him as 
your father, your daddy, your papa. He loves you and he wants to draw near to you. And so you can address him in this way. We can call out to him with joyful confidence. This is who he is. Ray Ortland speaking about you know, fearing God and this whole idea of, of, of fear. He says, in one sense, of course, God's children should always fear him. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. There's a healthy sense of, of fear. But there is a kind of fear that God's children forever leave behind when he adopts them as his own. A cowering fear a hesitancy, an insecurity. This is the mentality, catch this. This is the mentality of a slave, not a son. This is the mentality of a, a slave, not a son, to cower in fear, to be afraid of, of this, this uh, slave master. No, 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 he's not a slave master, he's our father. Uh, there, there's a song, I know I've, I've quoted it before, most of you probably haven't heard this band. It's, they're, they're called Citizens. But one of my favorite songs is a song called Kids. It's on my running playlist. I listen to the song all the time. Uh, here, here's the lyrics. The, the chorus says this. There's nothing better than to know we belong. This doesn't even do it justice. Y'all, I'm going to send a link to you in the weekly word tomorrow. You can listen to it. Um, I want to sing it, but I'm not going to. Uh, There's nothing better than to know we belong. We've been adopted by the Father of love. Our brother, speaking of Jesus, our elder brother, our brother suffered on the cross in our place. We are kids of grace. And I love, love, love that line. And this, this whole song is just a reminder that we are God's kids. We are his children that he has adopted. There's nothing better than to know that we've been adopted. It's nothing that we have done. It's nothing that we have chosen. No, no, no. God has chosen us and placed us in his family as sons and daughters. And so Romans 7, if you remember, the frustration that Paul had in, in Romans 7, frustrated by our own sinfulness, we cry out, oh, wretched man that I am. In Romans chapter 8, joyfully confident of our sonship, we can cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, it's an incredible privilege, y'all, that we can call him our Father. And so here's the conclusion of, of this point. You can have certainty, you can have confidence when you don't see God as a fearful slave master, but as your loving Father. And y'all, some of you have, um, have daddy hurt and I know that makes it hard to see God as father, but don't let your earthly father, sp speaking as a flawed, sinful, earthly father, don't let your earthly father paint the picture of what a true heavenly father looks like. He is perfect. He is loving, and he invites you to come to him by grace, not in fear. So, number three, here it is, final point. God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong. God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong. Let me read verses 16 and 17. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So 
God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong. This, this third uh, assurance is, is a little harder to quantify, all right? Um, th- these three things that we're talking about this morning all kind of work together. They're a package deal. Um, but think with me. Remember, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. We talked about a, a courtroom scene, right? Think about a courtroom scene. Why is a witness brought in? says the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Why is a witness brought to the stand? Well, it's to speak, uh, hopefully to speak the truth, right? To lead us to truth, to help us to come to an understanding or knowledge of the truth. It's to clear up, hopefully to clear up any doubt, right? It's to settle us in the truth. This is the, the, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, that he comes in to bear witness with our spirit that we belong. In other, word, that, in other words, God brings agreement between his spirit and, and our spirit that we belong to God. Here's an incredible verse. Again, we're going to rewind to Romans chapter 5, verse number 5. Paul says in this, again, another incredible chapter in Romans, he says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. In other words, what Paul is saying is that God pours his, here's a phrase that I want you to catch, God pours his felt Love into the heart, into the spirit of every single believer. His felt love. He brings this inward sense of, of sonship. It, it's what Ray Ortland calls the personal touch of God in the depths of your being. The personal touch of God in the depths of your being. So let me talk about this for a second. Um, because this is a little challenging for me to talk about, because I would call myself and I would call us as a church uh, followers of Christ who have a firm belief in what we would call the sufficiency of Scripture. Raise my voice a little bit there. (laughs) The sufficiency of Scripture. You know what I'm talking about? It means we believe that the Word of God is sufficient for everything that we need. Like, it, it, is, it is complete, it is an objective source of truth that we can base our life upon, right? We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And so we want to be cautious and careful when it comes to our feelings and to experience, right? We don't want to base truth off of our feelings or base truth off of uh, our experience. Like, if I experienced it, it must mean it's true. No, no, no. We want to let, we want to let Scripture, the Word of God, uh, guide us and govern us. Why? It's not because feelings are are bad. It's not because experiences are bad, but your feelings, my feelings, they change, right? They, They shift. Our feelings will lead us astray. But God's word never will. He his word never changes. It never leads us astray. So we don't want to rely on our feelings. We don't want to rely on experience to govern our lives. But on the other hand, we've got to be so careful that we don't strip the Holy Spirit of his active, energizing, empowering work within us. Because when we do that, we emasculate him. We strip him of the power that he has. There is a ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, within us that allows us 
to have, again, a felt sense of the love of God in our hearts, to not just know that he loves us, but to actually feel his love within us. Are you tracking with me? Is that making sense? We are embodied creatures, right? God has put us in a body. He's given us feelings. Um, But we need to know God's love, not just in our minds, but in our hearts to feel the love of God within us and upon us. So I want you to think back to childhood. Or maybe if you've got kids, maybe think of your child or just think of children in general. How, you know, um, this is one of those things that parents down through the ages have said, uh, you know, maybe I'm not touchy-feely, but like, I love you because I put a roof over your head, right? You know, if, if you ever heard that or used that, I put food on the table, I pay the bills, I take care of all your needs. I love you. There's evidence in all of these things that I do for you. Okay, so as we grow older, we understand that more, Right. Um, I, the older I got, the more I like, appreciated the things that my parents did for me. But how does that stuff fly with a child who doesn't feel loved, who doesn't feel affection? You know what I mean? You, you don't tell a kid, well, I, I, put a, I put a roof over your head, so I love you. That kid goes, well, I don't, I don't feel love. That, so I remember as, as a kid, like I had great parents, very moral people provided for me. I remember growing up not feeling like I didn't feel all the touchy-feely kind of love, right? Not a lot of uh, physical touch, embrace, any of that stuff. I didn't feel love. The older I've gotten, the more I go, I know my parents love me, but I didn't feel love. And y'all, to feel loved as a child changes Everything as you grow up and as you become adult and adult. Uh, we talk about daddy issues. It's because maybe I didn't feel loved or I felt abused or whatever, but like that stuff carries so much weight. And so we as children of God, you know what? There is, there is plenty of evidence of, of God's love in our life. And I know there are times when you and I could say, well, I don't feel loved by God. I'm going through this, or I'm experiencing this. God could stop this. Why doesn't he do this? I don't feel the love of God. Listen, there is plenty of evidence. We've sung about it this morning. The cross, the empty grave, we see that, we know that. But even though we know he died for us, even though we read the truth, even though it's in black and white, we know that's, that, is to be, that is true, Man, it, it, sometimes it feels like it was so long ago. We didn't experience it firsthand. It feels like facts in a history book. But here's the, here's the reality. God knows that we need more than just cold, hard facts. This is why he sent the Holy Spirit to live within us and to bear witness with our spirit so that we would feel, we would have a felt sense of the love of God within us. This is why... God as Trinity is so amazing and mind-blowing that God isn't just God the, the Father, who's over all, he's, he's Lord of the universe, he's powerful above and over all, and he's not just God in the flesh, right? Jesus, who walked in our shoes, who understands our struggle, as amazing as those two things are. No, it's not just God above all, not just God in the flesh, it's God in us. God within us who walks with us and helps us to feel the love of God within us. 
And you all, know, probably the best example I could get, give you is this morning, uh, every time, both services, as soon as we start singing the words, Abba, Father, I belong to you. I don't know if it's true of you. Uh, I hope it is. But for me, there was a felt sense of the love of God that I wasn't just singing words, I belong to you. I felt, I felt loved and embraced and adopted by God. This is what it means to bear witness. He bears witness. He brings agreement to our spirit that we belong to him. It, it is this internal assurance. It is the inner embrace of God that assures us that we are his. So let me, let me kind of summarize these three things. We're going to celebrate this morning our Father through taking the Lord's Supper together. But I just want to summarize all of this. So God's children are led by God's Spirit. I would say this is like an external evidence. There's evidence that I'm led by God, but I'm led by His Spirit, that I follow Him. God's Spirit liberates us from slavery to sonship. There's an, an upward intimacy. I don't look at Him as a slave master. I'm not fearful of Him. No, I know He is my Father who loves me. And here's a third assurance. God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong. There is an inward assurance. And all of these things work together. And so this morning, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And here, here's the reality. Hopefully for some of you, you're encouraged because you realize the, the, the sonship that you possess, that you are a son or a daughter of God. You see evidence of God's leading in your life. You see evidence of growth within you, baby steps, big steps. You see it there are times when you have the inner witness of the Spirit who, who affirms and confirms within you, assures you that you belong to God, right? That no other person could give you. It's the inner witness of His Spirit. But some of you, maybe this morning, maybe you're stuck. Maybe you're stuck with wh wh where you're at. Maybe you haven't seen growth. Maybe you don't see evidence of God's leadership in your life. Maybe you have been struggling with some kind of sin in your life. Um, here's what I want to encourage you today is repent and believe. Repent and believe. Return to God. Seek him. Ask him to change your heart. Ask him to give you the assurance that only he can give you in your spirit. Come back to you. He is a God of grace who invites you to, to step back into his presence again and again and again. And Maybe you're here this morning and, and you would say, I've never moved into a place of sonship. I've never put my faith in Jesus. I've never let him come in and take, take up ownership of me. I've never looked at God as my father. Maybe today, for the very first time, you could cry out to this one who invites you to come to him by his grace, not because you deserve it, not because you've done anything to earn it, but because of his love for you. He invites you to come and call him Abba, Father. And so, Lord, this morning, um, we are grateful for the truth of your word that, God, even when we don't feel your love, we know that you have, you have sent your son to us. We see the evidence of the cross. We see the evidence of um, the empty grave. Um, Lord, you have done so much to prove your love to us. And, God, I pray that you would affirm 
our standing with you, even for, even for those of us in this room today, uh, by the evidence of your working in our life, that your spirit leads us, God, that we see you as our Father. Uh, Lord, the inner embrace, the inner assurance of your spirit within us that, that bears witness to the truth that we belong to you. God, I pray that you would, uh, for folks in this room that know you, that are in Christ, I pray that you would encourage us, help us today to stand in awe again. Help us to take the bread and to drink of the cup with a heart of gratitude because you have invited us into your family. You have adopted us, sons and daughters. So God, help us to rejoice in that today. But God, for the one who may be stuck, the one who, know, who maybe knows they're not a part of your family, maybe the one who's been resisting, God, I pray that your spirit would do a work that only you can do and draw their hearts to you. You would change hearts that you would set free those who are slaves to sin, those who are slaves to fear. God, that you would bring them into the freedom that is in Christ, that you would call them into sonship today. Lord, we rejoice you are and all that you have done for us. We love you. Would you assure us today of your love for us? In Jesus' name we pray.